Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You're on Faith FM this morning. Uh, we're glad you're joining us for some positive, positively different news. You are with Minnie and, <laughs> and Renee. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Yeah, let's just start that again. Oi. I need to I need to articulate my words more. Honestly, you should have heard me when I was a kid. I just slurred everything, and it still sometimes comes back. I'll say a sentence, and people just look at me like, "What, what? did you say?" <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. But look, we're glad you're with us. My inability to speak at all. Um, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. It's a Friday. It is Friday. I'm glad the weekend is coming. Mm. It's The rain's nice, I guess. <laughs> don't you prefer the cold to the pool? I do, I do. Mm. I do. So why do I feel the way? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I just know. feel like rain is like that sometimes. Yeah. It's and because it's been a few days if, like, yes. before us. So we're in the Newcastle kind of region here. Yeah. And it's it's been a few days of like grey and cloudy and Great, drizzly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah I'm, I actually can handle cold if the sun's out. Yeah, I don't love it, but I can handle it. That's what I'm missing. I miss the mm, sun. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah, it was also today. Renee and I, my last show together for a while. Yeah, because Lala's back, which is exciting. Woo. But it it would not. But and <laughs> let's not discredit that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. You've had mini. And Renee. Monet. And Monet. <laughs> and also, who did I have? I've had a few different people. You've had a few different Yes. Yeah, yeah, we've had quite a few different, you know. Yeah. It's been fun to kind of Ryan, experiment Joelle, a bit. Joelle. I know Mitch. Yeah. Um, Mitch, Carly. Carly. Sorry. Harley, Eliza. Harley. Wow, Eliza's our interview today, actually. Ooh. What are you thankful for? Is there anything particular? Uh, yeah. Let me just go on the line that we've been on. I'm grateful for the sun, wherever <laughs> he is. Today, <laughs> Mr. Sun. Mr. Sun, where, where are, are you? you? <laughs> I love it. You know the song. <laughs> oh yeah, look, it'll some- it'll come back to us. Yeah, yeah. We hope. We hope. I'm ready because I moved out this house this week. I was like, yeah, the whole rest of the week will be sunny. It was not. It was not. It will come. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Tell us. What in the world is is out there for positively different news? I, I actually sure love this well, part of well. the breakfast show. Like that probably sounded really patronizing. Yeah, yeah. But I this is probably one of my favorite parts of today. Yeah. I'm glad. Uh, I actually really like this story. Okay, so I think I'll start with the. Actually, I'll start with the other one that I prepared. So in Western Australia, the town of Bustleton experiences a little baby boom. (laughs) The the locals are joking that it's COVID-19 is the reason why. Um, So the regional city of Bustleton, nearly three hours south of Perth, is experiencing what the locals are jokingly calling a COVID baby boom, nine months (laughs) after WA's lockdown. (laughs) The births at Bustletown Hospital in November and December in 2020 nearly doubled compared to the same period the previous year with 74 babies born. Um, The town is not on its own. (laughs) Health department data shows that there's been an increase in births in nearly all regional public health regions in December 2020 compared to December 2019. And the Great Southern and Pilbara posting a 33% and 48% jump. Uh, Now, people, when they see this change in data, they come with many assumptions and they try to interpret the data and they're like, hmm, I wonder why reasons suggest that changes to the family's routines during COVID-19 lockdowns in March and an influx of new families of young families in town. Uh, that's quite been, that's been quite interesting. Um, 
due to lockdown and COVID, a lot of people have, a lot of young families have actually chosen to move out into rural rural towns, Mm -hmm. according to this data, which is, I I mean, I usually hear that young families move to the city, suburbs, but this is pretty cool. Mm I guess it was so busy that there's a story that a a woman who, um, what did it say? She said that she had to had to pre-book her in in induction, not. Yeah, being induced for induced, birth, right? Yeah, induced, is that the word? Yeah, yeah I'm sure that's induced, the word. Yeah. I couldn't find the word. Yeah, being induced, she it got cancelled twice, Ooh. and so she had to, yeah, she had to book again. So it was so busy in December. Her schedule in her scheduled in in what, induction induced induced. <laughs> What's the word? <laughs> See, when I say induction, it makes me think of just a, a new job. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yes. But I'm sure it's induced. I'm induced. sure you become induced. Isn't it? Induced. In- that could be induction. No, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. So we're going anyway, to say that thing the thing <laughs> happened. Was she was going to be induced. <laughs> uh, she had to reschedule it twice because there was no delivery suits available. Um, mm. It's I just I just laughed while I was reading this article because people because the comment they're saying the numbers are interesting but preliminary. So Andrew Kirk from the Rural Doctors Association in WA describes the numbers as interesting, but it's not possible to draw any conclusions about the impact of COVID on small data sets. Overall, what I think it's telling us is the demand for obstetric obstetric care in um, regional WA is high, um, and so. Ah, they're just, I guess, trying to meet the needs in those regional centres um, due to the changes and to the increase of babies being born. So I love little babies and babies being born is cool. Oh, <laughs> I fully, that. this is completely opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you can find it in Second Opinions, Chapter 5, Verse 32. <laughs> uh, I just think kids are the pinnacle of God's creation. Yeah? Like, yeah. Like, I do not want my own children. I want everyone around me to have, have children. children. Like every person, like, yeah, just be a good parent. But like, go on then. <laughs> um, they're just, they're precious, man. Like yeah. that's something angels can't create, scientists can't create. Yeah. Like it's actually such a blessing and a privilege that yeah. humans get to create these tiny human beings who are just beautiful. Yeah. Kind of crazy at times. Crazy. You know. But it's, you know, COVID was... A, not a great time, but to have, a, you know, baby, you're right. Babies are a blessing. They're a gift. Absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway. That's a cool story. I love that. <laughs> More onto uh, family stories uh-huh. and positive news. Uran Diji. Oh, I said this in my head when I was reading it, but now when I say it out loud, it's not working. Uran Danji? Urundanji. Okay, that's a place. It's a state school. Has only three kindy students. Yes, mate. And they're triplets. (gasps) And their principal is their dad. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. I'm so, I'm so, I was, oh, I can't wipe the smile off my face. So for the kindergarten students, you know, when you're a kid, I don't know if you remember your first day being a kindergarten student, but walking into, you know, your first day of school, it can be daunting, your first Mm. day. Um, But for the three students, Starting kindy in Urundanji, 187 kilometers southwest of Mount Isa on the Queensland Northern Territory border. It won't be too scary because they have known each other since before they were born. The three-year-old Dunn triplets, identical twins Parker and Jasper, and their sister Mackenzie are also stepping into the kindy room knowing the school principal, their dad, Lee Dunn. 
Um, Mr. Dunn says that he and his partner have been busy making sure the triplets have been ready to go to kindy. Um, he says there's been some routines put in place. Uh, and he says that I gather there's going to be some teething problems in the beginning, but we'll address each other as they arise. What a cool dad and mom. <laughs> the triplets also make up one quarter of the school's population. Nice. <laughs> Mr. Dunn says the school was one. It was a one in all in affair with two classrooms separating its 12 students. So it's a K kindy to year six school. Everyone knows each other. The triplets won't be the only set of multiples in the dozen uh, with a set of twins in higher grades as well. Um, he says, it's a bit daunting being the principal, but we have a new teacher this year who has a background in early childhood. And I think it's going to be great for our three. We have two boys and a girl and they're absolutely excited. And, uh, he also says, it's a good thing. We all, uh, they all know the students that come to school. They've already met their teacher because their teacher lives <laughs> next door. <laughs> this is the best community ever. <laughs> Wait, I actually think there's great value to that though. Right? I agree. Right. Yeah. Cause that's relationships in and outside of school. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. that's incredible. You see a teacher everywhere. Your teacher's your next door neighbor. How cool is that? Um, he, he, Mr. Zun said the opportunity to become the school principal came up. His family took the adventure without a second thought. He said there's two reasons that he took it. One was for his leadership journey, but two is to give his own children an opportunity to experience something they'll never get to experience living in a large metropolitan uh, or regional city. He says that being a town, a small town of around 21, everyone knows each other. So yes. can you believe a town of 21 people, 12 students in their school, three, one third of them, or one quarter, or one third, three one quarter, of, one quarter of them being his own kids, him being the principal. <laughs> I think this is the coolest thing ever. Um, <laughs> everyone knows each other. <laughs> I think this is great, man. I'm studying primary teaching. You guys may know if you listen to our show regularly. And this is like, maybe not like quite this small, but this is exactly the sort of school I'd love to work at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so I did say I was going to talk about this. Look, this is one of those topics that, um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty big topic. Um, so Biden, as you know, is, I think he's officially, he he's is officially pres- the president, president now, right? Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> can tell I keep up to date. But basically he's reversing the global abortion gag rule, it's called, and expands what you guys may have may not have heard of as Obamacare. Oh. So basically, so it's this so-called Mexico City policy um which former president that people have said it that uh, what he put in place is an attack on women's health access. So this is a big thing that people were talking about. We you know, we've had this discussion in Australia, it's been New Zealand's like how much do you legislate the uh, – how acceptable is something like abortion? Hmm. So you have a whole bunch of people who are now like, Biden, uh, Biden's awesome because he's getting rid of this, um, because, you know, Trump was just evil because it was he was attacking women's health care. You also have a whole bunch of other people being like, mm, no, he made the right call. Mm. Like that's not something we want to be so free and easy to access. Um, but so that's been a pretty significant thing. And the memo basically has ordered a review of a Trump era policy. Um, it's basically blocking US funding, uh, sorry, blocking funding for US clinics that offer abortion referrals. Wow. Um, which is pretty hectic. I didn't actually know that that was something that you did. Mm. I, I don't know enough about um, how that all works, but, you know, is it something that you can just go somewhere? Um, 
are you given other options, mm. you know, or is that just the main thing that a doctor goes, hey, yep, this is this is the best thing for you without even discussing other options. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, because if you, I don't know, I've not been in this situation, but if you're young and you, you are concerned about support and someone is just saying, oh, this is your go-to and you don't have any other access to information, mm. um, you know, that's... That's some huge influence that someone has. Yeah. But uh, Mr. Biden has said that he is not initiating any new law, any new aspect of the law. Um, he's responding to criticism that he was governing by executive order rather than congressional legislations. Mm-hmm. He's just saying there's nothing new here we're doing other than restoring the Affordable Care Act to the way it was before Trump became president. So maybe there's a bit of um, a bit of uh, dislike of one another in the way he says that. It does but, sound like it, yeah. Uh, basically, this what what is this thing? The Mexico City policy was first enacted by Republican President Ronald Reagan in 1984. So this is going back quite a while. Mm. It's been repli- repeatedly renewed by Republicans and cancelled by Democrats. Wow. So, again, got to love that whole left and right, <laughs> let's just cancel each other out thing. Yep, yep. By love, I mean not at all. Um, yeah, so for decades the US has barred money from being spent on overseas abortions, but the Mexico City policy takes it a step further. It prevents federal funds from going to organisations that provides abortions, abortion counselling, or advocate for legal rights to abort. So, anyway, this is just a whole big, whole big process. Um, Mr. Biden has also instructed the US Health Department to immediately consider removing Trump-era restrictions to a domestic family planning program for low-income Americans known as Title X. Man, this is one of those topics that it's so controversial. Like I've heard a whole bunch of people speaking about how they were like, yeah, for these low-income families, this this domestic family planning, what they mean is let's let oh, – what's it called? Like let's, let's keep the population at bay because we don't want more of them. There's like a, a whole theory. So it's like that's why they're allowing family planning and abortion in those areas. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, that's – I actually see what they're saying with that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. – Anyway, it's just a pretty big topic that's going on at the moment. Whereas, just in contrast, Poland, different part of the world now, they've basically enforced controversial uh, near-total abortion ban. So basically a court ruling allowing um, the prohibition. It's it's prompted huge protests, um, but it's taking effect from this week, I believe. So it's now only allowed in cases of rape or incest or when the pregnancy specifically threatens the life of the mother. Yeah. Um, And so... This they're saying, yeah, we we do see that there is some actual health, very serious health concerns possibly, um, but that's a whole different ball game to America or Australia or you know places like New Zealand at the moment. In two thousand nineteen, ninety eight percent of abor- abortions were carried out on those grounds, meaning that the ruling effectively banned the vast majority of pregnancy terminations. Um, yeah, which it's it is a really significant thing. Um, as Christians, generally speaking, the stance is, man, life is a precious thing. Mm. Um, you know, I've spoken to many people who don't agree with that thought either. But I think this is this is one of those topics we have to have the discussion with some serious compassion. Mm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, whichever side you're on, there has to be compassion yeah. because um, we only know what we know, mm-hmm. you know, and – I think there's a lot of hurt that goes on either side of this and the reasons people push so hard for one or, or the other way. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, if if as Christians, whatever our belief is, 
let's just make sure that where our political allegiances lie, it begins with the Bible and begins with the heart oh. and begins with the heart of a God yeah. who loves us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know. I could have any opinion I want and I could find any verse I wanted to proof text my own belief. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Rather than going, hey, God, like be in my life, mm-hmm. shine out from me and and change my mind, change my heart to, to more of who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so I just find this a very interesting thing because obviously you have Christians who are for this, Christians who are against this. It's a very significant issue as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, yeah, let's just – Man, let's let's pray for our communities, actually. Yeah. Because we don't know what people are going through. So let's get to know people, know where they're at. And I think it's very easy for me or you or anyone else to sit at a place and go, This is our opinion, but do we know the people who are making yeah. That's why I liked decisions. what you said, you know, I think a lot of these conversations lack empathy mm-hmm. and the focus is on am I right? Am I wrong? You're wrong. Like yeah, you know, what I say is yeah, it's just it just lacks that that position of, oh, I wonder why that person thinks that way or where are they coming from? Mm, mm. What experiences have got them to this point Mm. of believing that or acting this way? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but it is very significant and I think it's interesting to see the complete, uh, not complete, but very opposing ideas and really no matter which way they go, there's controversy. Yeah, yes, there is. Um, In a bit of a nicer, uh, well, not nicer, but a a bit of a lighter story than that because I do think that's a really big issue. So Crystal Ambrose, she is a young woman who is in the Bahamas, she's been working at a grassroots level um, for environmental issues, basically with single-use plastic concerns. They've seen that plastic waste has been seriously harming the Bahamas coastline. It's multifaceted. Waste is produced by the locals, obviously, and tourism, but also there's a whole lot of marine debris. So the Bahamas is an island. I can totally imagine it just being like smashed with some plastic. And the the question Crystal had was, what do we do with it? So she decided to start a Bahamas plastic movement. It's a non non-profit um she's created free camps for local children and they all petitioned the local environmental minister so she kind of said hey this is going to be a high level meeting we need Mm. to be uh formal and they said miss crystal that's boring so they went in and um you know just had passion and fire and she really believes that that um changed their mind you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different welcome back to the Brecky show. Uh, you are with Minnie and Renee, which is good. I just wanted to, before we move on, I just, just need to clarify something. Mm-hmm. As we spoke earlier, sometimes me and words, they don't always work. When I was just telling my news stories, I kind of made this comment. I was like, oh, yeah. we. Um, some people have said that they believe that the government um, trying to allow um, abortions for low-income families is actually the government trying to control the population. And I was like, yeah, I can see where they come from. I wasn't saying yes we should do that. That is I was saying I can understand where why people think why that people way. Think, think that the, that government, the government is, is yeah. 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 Anyway, I just feel like they need to be clarified. Um because <laughs> that's oh, me and English man, I only speak one language and I even mess that up a lot of times. <laughs> oh man, Renee and I are doing good with our words this morning. <laughs> but it is time we're gonna have our interview today with Eliza Ma. Hey Eliza. Hey Minnie. Welcome. Um, so, for those of you who guys who've been listening to the show, Eliza is just she's into New South Wales history. Is that right? Ooh, anyway, that's right. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Which can I, I can oh, I jump in? Sorry, yeah, please do. What? How? How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it all happened because I was reading Great Controversy, and 
it, it was just such an incredible historical book. Mm. Um, and I'd absolutely recommend um, your, for listeners, if you haven't read it or haven't heard of it, look it up. Um, and as I was reading through, I thought, wow, I've never heard this history before and it matters so much. And I thought, well, maybe I should get more informed. And that's how I became a historian. Absolutely. And you today, we are going to talk about an Australian who, it's a pseudonym, but Dame Nellie Melba. So what can you tell us about Dame Nellie Melba? What is significant about this Australian historical lady? So Dame Nellie Melba, or Helen Porter Mitchell, as she was born, um, was a singer in um, around the late 1800s, early 1900s. She sang leading roles, actually mainly in Europe Mm. and the States, uh, but she also established a music school that developed into Melbourne's Conservatorium of Music, um, which some of our listeners might know. She sang for kings and emperors around Europe um, just to get a bit of a sense of the scale of how popular she was. Her concerts for the people in Melbourne and Sydney in 1922 drew some 70,000 people. So these are classical music concerts and 70,000 people are coming to concerts in Melbourne and Sydney in 1922. So she's really important to Australia. Actually, she's even on the $100 note Whoa. Um, our $100 note has a picture of Dame Nellie Melba on it. Um, <laughs> and she's so important to us because for newly federated Australia, Australia had only just become a country, Melba represented glamour, success, mm. um, and also international acceptance. Melbourne in particular, so that's where her name was from. She chose Melba as her stage name because she was from Melbourne. Melbourne in particular felt that she had made the city famous. Um, and so uh, Melba also kickstarted um, music recording and gramophones and because like when she recorded something, everyone wanted to listen to it. It was a new technology and she jumped on it really early. Um, but one of the things that makes her really interesting, I think, is that she was the first stage performer to be knighted so how um, does that happen? Like what so, What was yeah, yeah. The, kind of the storyline? As you said, like obviously she was very uh, – people kind of loved her and she became quite well-known and popular. Mm-hmm. But how do you get from being a well-known, popular, loved right. musician to I'm now being knighted? Mm-hmm. Well, there were, absolutely. That's a great question. There were loads of uh, musicians and performers in the, before her um, that had been very popular that had – had crowds swooning over them. Mm. Um, but Melba was different. Melba grew up with um, a very strong Presbyterian Christian influence. She was very involved in um, the church as a child, and that carried through uh, her life. And what made her really unusual as a stage performer was that she was a deeply moral person. Mm. Um and stage performers didn't have a reputation for that um, at the time. She made her own way and achieved international fame, and she didn't let it get to her character. She didn't um, take opportunities to, um, for example, which was very common at the time, to uh, sleep around with the great names of Europe, mm. um, that she had an opportunity to do that. 
Um, and so what led up to her knighthood was her work during the First World War to um, raise funds for the war effort. And there are stories of uh, what she would do was after a concert, um, she would auction flags. And she had such charisma. She was such a bubbly personality that um, people couldn't refuse her. That's incredible. Hey, like there's so much to, yeah, I guess who you come across as to other people, as to the influence that you have. Um, Mm. And so I'm curious then, like you said that she kind of grew up in a pretty strong um, home Mm. with that valued faith. What else kind of happened in her upbringing? Because as you said, she spent a lot of her time in Europe, although she was from Australia. Mm. Um, Yeah, what were some of her family backgrounds and life? Because obviously uh, there's a whole bunch of people, you know, you hear of who grow up in religious or spiritual or Mm. beautiful homes, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that becomes something important to them. Mm. Mm. Actually, Melba had quite a a troubled early adulthood. Um, So she was raised Presbyterian. Her parents were very involved in the church. She sang in the church choir. She played organ um, at uh, Scott's Church in Melbourne. But she never, she doesn't seem to have, and it's hard to tell, but she doesn't seem to have developed a really mature faith. Mm. And when she was 18, her mother died. And that obviously rocked her world. And um, she was the eldest daughter. She had a three-year-old sister. And so as, as happens, happened then and, and, um, happens now often as well. She took over the role of mother to her sister, Vera. Um, and then devastatingly, her sister died mm. just a few months later. Um, Melba was pulled out of school or expelled. We're not quite sure which. Um, and her father uprooted the family, went off to North Queensland for a um, business opportunity and she went with him. Um, she married very shortly afterwards uh, to a man in, in North Queensland. Um, and she she married. She had a son. Um, very shortly after her son was born, she left. Um, her husband was abusive mm. and he beat her more than once. And I think... Um, how serious the situation was is shown by the fact that her father backed her all the way. Hmm. This deeply religious Presbyterian man um, who built Presbyterian schools and supported the church at every turn, he he supported her in this separation um, at a time where separation was was a deeply shameful thing and domestic violence wasn't um, recognized as the problem we know it is today. Um, and so all of this happened you know, before she was 22 wow. and um, her father decided, oh, well, you know, earlier he had said, no daughter of mine will be an entertainer on stage, mm-hmm. a singer. Um but afterwards he realized, well, you're raising this child on your own. Um, you need to support yourself somehow. He was going to Europe on business. He said, well, why don't you come along 
have a talk, um, talk to some teachers, see if you can make it. And if you can't, that's all right. You can come back to Melbourne with me. Mm. Um, and so she, Melbourne really found in music a, an escape um, from her trauma. I don't think she ever really dealt with that trauma. But um, it reminds me of you know, in James chapter 1, early in the chapter, James says, when you fall into all kinds of temptations and trials and suffering, rejoice because you know that through that your <laughs> faith is matured. Yeah, wow. When we go through suffering, we fall down, we're discouraged, but through Christ we can stand back up again. And I think possibly Melba didn't have that support from a Christian mentor that um, she really needed to recover from that trauma and learn and deepen her faith through that experience. But she's she was very closed about it later in life. Mm. And I think you're right. Like it's something we kind of just say as humans, even outside of a spiritual context, like often it is through the challenges that we grow, uh, kind mm. of whether we want to or not. Um, you know, right. how we respond can differ, uh, but yeah. it kind of does force you to see life in a different way. And there's a maturity that has to come along with that oftentimes, you know, sometimes not. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, in, in a faith context, that can be where a time you kind of have to work some things out for yourself, you mm. know, um, particularly, yeah. as you said, with the time frame it was with the background her father had, um, those were some really significant challenges I imagine she would have been facing mm-hmm. and having to go, Whoo, what is what does this look like for me to step into this space? Um right. you know, even if it was kind of this escapism, but as you said, that she didn't kind of be overtaken by that culture that she was in, even though right. it was known to be this space generally speaking, with, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of immorality that mm-hmm. I guess there was something in that or about her personal life that she went, No, that's you know, that's not yeah. the next pl- space I need to step into to, I don't know, mm. feel better been, about life. Yeah. Yeah. She'd been brought up to respect herself mm. and keep her dignity. And, um, yeah, I think that made all the difference with you know, all of the the pressure of international fame that she achieved later. And, and um, you know, there are stories about, she could be quite brutal with her rivals if she was sitting in an audience and uh, listening to someone on stage that she thought wasn't doing a good job. She could sing their part from the wings. She could be savage, oh, but yeah. she also mentored um, younger singers, up and coming singers, mm. and she gave them opportunities and she set up schools for them. And um, she, pushed young singers to achieve their potential. Mm. Um, so she had the killer instinct of of any business person. Mm. Um, but she never she never let her head get too big. Yeah, absolutely. We have about thirty seconds left. Is there anything else, Eliza, that you wanted to share just about um, you know, this lady's life or just insights that you've taken away? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the really important thing to my mind about Melba is that even though you know we go through all sorts of trials and we are tested and 
um, we face things that we've never faced before and we have to adapt. We don't need to let those things control us or, or define who we are. Yes. Um, we can come above that and have courage to go over to Europe where we have no friends and um, support a, a young child while making a career for ourselves. Mm. Um, the hard we things can aren't take the end. Courage. Yeah. Right. Right. So I think that's that's the key takeaway for me at least. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Eliza. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.